Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 42 to 48. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Humble to bring the word of God this morning. Always a blessing. Welcome everybody. My name is William Maweu. Good morning. For some of us, if not all of us, who are moved by the state of children at risk, and especially those that suffer commercial sexual exploitation or child sex trafficking. I think we can relate with the pain that comes with delayed justice in our system, obstruction of justice, or even denied justice. And especially in contexts whereby money is used to obstruct justice. And like some say, money has been poured to finish us. Looking at the state of human trafficking in Los Angeles County, during the Human Trafficking Awareness Month, which was last month, at one point, the chief of the LA Police Department wondered how we can begin to take back the future of our youth. And he talked in terms of partnership between private and public agencies, and even agencies that are involved in law enforcement, just to help secure the future of our young people. He was saying this at a time when 33 uh, children had been rescued from trafficking. And it was shocking to realize how some of these kids who are rescued want to go back to the lifestyle. They want to sneak back. Some of them are probably forced to sneak back. Others want to do it willingly. And particularly because they are so much addicted into the lifestyle. What about the sad stories of people overseas who purport to be missionaries who have begun um, rescue centers or even orphanages to work for the well-being of vulnerable children, but they end up being child sex molesters? We see this in the media. It's so shocking. It is so moving to these children, really worrying, and even to the missionaries themselves. And I want to say at this time that both the children and the missionaries, they're important in the eyes of God and in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God starts small and grows big 
without being noticed, and it won't stop growing. It is a kingdom of power, a kingdom of righteousness and justice. Psalms 89.14 Justice and righteousness are the foundations of God's throne. Love and faithfulness, they go before God. Friends, you don't want to stand against God. You don't want to stand in the mission, in the way of the mission of God. Kingdom business is pricey. It is expensive. God has crazy love for his people, for his children, you and I included. He protects his people. And like the Israelites, his people, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10, it says, he protects his people, Israel, like the apple of an eye. If you want to imagine what obstruction of justice or standing in the mission of God looks like, go back to the cross. You want to think about the cross of Christ. You don't want to mess up with orphans. You don't want to mess up with people that, has been, that have been entrusted in your care. You don't want to mess up with your own life either. And as, as, and as they say, you don't want to do anything stupid. I guess when Jesus was talking to his disciples and sharing these words with them, I think he must have been driven by the passion that drove him when he went to the cross. And at this time, talking about the cross, and especially when I look at this particular text that we have read this morning, and I, I look at the cross, I, I see an intersection between love and punishment. And at this intersection where love and punishment meets, that is God's justice. Now in verse 42 to 47, there's one thing in common, and this is stumbling block. The radical language which is being used here in this particular text, the language of cutting off uh, our, uh, someone's hand, cutting maybe one leg, taking away one eye, this language, it's not new to Jesus. Jesus is in record talking about denying oneself, talking about hating one's own family. The aspect of forfeiting control of one's body, one's life, being willing to die, being willing to be crucified with Christ. Now the audience, of course, in this text are the disciples. And in verse 36 through 37, which is the preceding text, Jesus talks of the little children and says, whoever receives them or receives one of the little, receives Jesus. We are seeing this in particularly, uh, we are seeing this again in a parallel text in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus uh, calls one of the little kids and tries to demonstrate how the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God. And he talks about those that receive those kids, they are receiving him. And again, those that obstruct or those that uh, stand on the way for these little kids, they are messing up and they are liable to punishment. And this punishment is a heavy punishment. 
Now, when I look at this particular um, uh, idea of Jesus talking about those who receive children are receiving me, and those that obstruct them, those that don't receive them, they're going to receive punishment. This is a common principle in the Bible entirely. And I'm seeing this in Genesis chapter 12, right from there, when God is talking to his friend uh, Abraham and telling him, I will bless you. And those that bless you, I will bless. And those that uh, curse you, I will curse. The same idea. I'm seeing this in Isaiah and Jeremiah when the idea of God's love and God's punishment seems to be so much in balance. And these guys try to really balance God's judgment and God's uh, uh, judgment. God's love and God's judgment for that matter. Now the context or the time when Jesus was talking to this disciple, and particularly in, 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 in Israel, this was a time when the Roman rule was in its place. And the teaching and healing of Jesus were taking place under the time of war. The kingdom of God was breaking upon a world of people in rebellion against God and against his works. This was a moment of reckoning in the opposing Jewish forces, but Christ's kingdom was breaking, and it was bringing about transformation in the lives of people. Talking about stumbling block to others, verse 42. Jesus says, little children, these little children, that if you prevent them from entering the kingdom of God, you are supposed to be punished, I mean, by having this big rock being tied on your neck and then you are thrown to the deepest of the sea. Now, when he talks about little children, I, I want to imagine that he's not just referring to children in terms of age, but again, he's talking about the vulnerable people. He's talking about the lowly. He's talking about those people living in poor conditions. So Jesus, he wants to let, us, let these disciples know how important these people are. Now the idea here is those who bless and support kingdom matters. They will be blessed. But those that do not support kingdom matters or even obstruct justice, if they don't repent, they're going to face punishment. And that is punishment now and punishment not yet. In the parallel text in Matthew chapter 18 verse 7, Jesus says, war to the world, because these things that cause people stumble, they will come from the world. But he goes ahead to say that such things will come. It's okay, they will come. But woe unto the people through whom these stumbling blocks come. A story is told of a boy who went to church one Sunday morning with his mother, and he was given some money to give as offering and he forgot to do that. And after church, they went out and while on their way home, the mother realized the boy had not given his offering, which was in form of money. And he told him, can you go back to the church and give that offering? And the boy obeyed and went back to the church. And in those times, this, in this particular church, the elders of the church, or rather the leaders of the church, they sat in front part of the, of the sanctuary, just like the place where I'm standing. Uh, sometimes we'll joke and call this place the, the throne. So the pastors and the elders sit on the throne. So this boy knew that the pastor always sat there 
And he went running, and when he went to the church, almost everybody was out, but this particular leader, who was a long-serving elder, and he served again as the pastor of the church, was still uh, seated at the front, I think he was doing some, some business there. And he went and gave him, gave him the money, and after he did that, he went out. So when the mother met him and asked him, have you given the money? The boy said, yes, I went to the church and I found God still seated uh, in front of the church and I gave him the money. The boy found God. And this, this was the image, this particular leader, this boy saw him as God. And what I'm trying to bring up here is the idea that sometimes people come to church they want to enter the house of God, the place where people of God are, to meet God. They are in need of this transcendence, this power that can change their lives once and for all. They are in need of a sense of security and identity. These people are in need of uh, some form of community, something that can change and turn around their lives. But at the end of it, they found us full of ourselves. So in other words, we stand in a place whereby it is only us whom they can see, and they fail to meet this God they are looking for, this transcendence, this sense of identity and security they are desiring, that the world does not offer. Now the judgment in this case is the big rock, and in Greek they call it the mulas anikas. This is a grinding rock, and it could not be lifted by anybody. It was pulled by a mule. It was so big. I mean, it expresses how severe this kind of punishment is. Talk about stumbling block to self now. Leave alone stumbling block to others. What about to self? And it talks about, we often say that, I mean, it talks about us, you know, cutting off either one of our hands, a leg, that kind of a language. I mean, we often say that we are the feet and the hands of Jesus, especially as Christians. But I don't know whether we realize sometimes hands and feet can become stumbling blocks. Come think of it. Hands that are filled with blood. Feet that are running to do evil things. A tongue that is quick to spread lies. And even eyes that are full of pride and a heart, that which schemes evil. Proverbs chapter 6, the Lord detests such. Now scholars have argued that Jesus uh, just used hyperbole when he talked about cutting off our hands or this language of body uh, mutilation. Jesus does not literally intend that we chop off our hands. But he uses radical language to express the value of the kingdom. Now, the idea of body mutilation in the history of the church has been heretical from a dualistic thinking of body being evil and the soul being good. And even with the argument that has been there in the history of the church that Jesus can never be fully man and fully God. According to Jesus' teaching, however, and especially in the preceding text, what defiles is from the inside, not outside. And James, James chapter 1 verse 14 to 15, sin is said to be the last of the highs, the last 
of the flesh and the pride of life. This is all intrinsic from within. Then what is this Jehenna, which is L or lake of fire? This was a deep, narrow valley to the south of Jerusalem, where Manasseh and the Jewish worshippers used to worship and sacrifice babies to their god, Molech. And at the time when they would do that, there were huge drums that were beaten up. When these babies are burning as sacrifices and they are screaming, and these drums were beaten to drown out the, you know, the screams of little children. Now, when King Josiah came into power, he stopped this kind of an aura thing. And he designated this particular place, this valley, as a place of garbage dumping. It is a place outside Jerusalem, and then all the, the dump, I mean all the, the garbage from Jerusalem could be dumped there. And then it was lit in fire, and there was continual burning there at that particular valley. This is a great picture of El, or lake of fire. Now, since Israel, as a nation, negated God's rule, and they went ahead persecuting God's people and the prophets, in AD 70, the city of Israel, I mean the city of Jerusalem was turned to be a Vienna of some kind because there were continual fires because when captivity came over them and all these people came and they, you know, they broke the walls, they burned the city. There were continual fires in this particular city. In fact, in verse 48 of this particular text that we have read today, this, this verse is a direct uh, quote of Isaiah 66 verse 24 which denotes horrible continual judgment. And which I think from an eschatological point of view, this is not just judgment now. I mean, this is not judgment in the future, but it's still judgment now. It's about judgment now and judgment not yet. So when uh, you get into this kind of a business whereby yourself, you are preventing, I mean, you are causing uh, you, or you're living a lifestyle that makes you not to enter the kingdom of God, then judgment now and judgment to come awaits you. Who can stand against the Lord? Who can stand against the mission of God, friends? Who and what can hinder the growth of the kingdom of God? We are now living in a time in the history of Christian mission with immense deconstruction of colonial mindset. This is an approach which is being used in Christian mission and especially in theological circles. This is to deconstruct that which has been there, especially from the 19th, 20th century, way of approaching mission. And the already done damage is immense. When the church becomes an obstacle to the kingdom of God, when the rich Corporations and mission agencies become God complexes to the poor. Unfortunately, this still happens today. Creating dependency syndrome and piercing the dignity of the vulnerable communities. This is what Brian Myers calls the poverty of the non-poor. It is in situations where the vulnerable are viewed as defenseless objects of charity. He once would tell us, Brian Myers, don't do to the poor what they can do for themselves. 
What about when Christian leaders, people that we look up to, compromise their lifestyles and their character and their integrity? In such situations, the work of God is ridiculed. Kingdom suffers ridicule. Saltiness is lost, and more dangerously, lives are lost. Paul says, I beat my body so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This sermon is about obstacles, but the kingdom of God knows no obstacles whatsoever. It grows, it keeps on growing. The Bible says it is advanced by power and only those with power have it. I don't think this is any other power apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Spirit who convicts us of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness? And who is in partnership with us as we live a life of righteousness? When it comes to dealing with kingdom obstacles, we need some amputation, friends. Circumcision of art. Cutting off some ends and some legs. And plucking out of some eyes that lead us astray. Lifestyles that lead us and others astray. Perspectives, fixated mindsets, political viewpoints. It starts from within. The good news is the Holy Spirit is here with us, is in partnership with us in this. The kingdom of God is about losing in order to gain. What is that which is standing on the way that prevents you from entering the kingdom of God or makes you obstruct others from entering the kingdom of God? Friends, one of, my, one of my great friends told me the antidote of materialism is giving. Maybe if it's materialism, what about just giving out what you have? This is the place where true discipleship meets justice, a place where hands, legs, and eyes must go. That which looks so dear to us, yet it cannot match the kingdom. And like Spurgeon prayed in reference to this particular text. Lord, I love you better than my eyes and my hands and my legs. Let me never demur for a moment to the giving up of all for you, O oh God. No one can stand against God. Friends. No one should, and nothing should, stand against the mission of God. Lord, we ask that your spirit may work in us to illuminate and to convict us more of your word this morning. Thank you for all these souls and everyone who is listening, Lord. And for myself, Lord, because your word touches me too. We love you and we trust you, Lord, to help us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are in us and you're working in us. This is our prayer humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.